So I have been down a rabbit hole. I have come to the conclusion that I fit the fearful avoidant like attachment style. And it's been this whole process of taking a ton of notes, watching some videos. Big shout out to my friend Heidi Preeb, who has some amazing videos about uh, attachment styles on YouTube. You should look her up. And um, man, it's just... So I'm just, I'm kind of in the middle of processing, so a lot of things I'm going to share here may be things that are, first of all, not very organized, and then second of all, may or may not be relevant to you, because I'm just going to talk about some of my story a little bit, and, and maybe some of the millennial story, because that is part of my story, um, and, and really it does start with stories. Uh, this week, I've been doing the Personality Life Path program with Personality Hacker. Like That's part of the perk of working for them and working with them is, is I can get an opportunity to you know, take some of their programs and do some of my own growth work. And millennials are typically trying to figure out our selves, our identity, our mental health, our uh, relationship to why we're struggling. Because I think we feel, a lot of us feel, at least I feel, that we were born into a society or a situation in which it didn't feel natural. It wasn't something we could easily plug into and suddenly we have success. Even though that felt like that was what we were sort of propagandized into believing, is that we, if we just follow the straight and normal path, we do the educational thing, that everything will just work out. And it very much hasn't. So there's been this... <clears throat> this discovery, like this extended diagnosis of what's been going wrong. Why am I not a success? Why am I not fitting in? And either the solutions have been, or the, the point of focus has been, either it's me or it's the system or systems, right? Some sort of internal or external or a little bit of both, right? And there's like this calibrative process that continually feels like is happening because not only are we trying to discover it for ourselves, but we're sharing those labels externally because I think millennials are looking for a collective identity as well. Because we're more a collective focused generation um, versus the Gen Xers and boomers that are more individualist focused. And, you know, not in a negative way. It's just, it just is what it is. I'm not saying that judgmentally. And so millennials have been raised to be a more collective generation. And so as much as we're trying to diagnose ourselves individually, you know, we've been very willing to share the process. I've been doing that over 500 episodes on this podcast. And we're trying to figure out like what, not only what uh, is wrong about us or wrong about the systems or, you know, what is it about us and the world that makes it like not line up, but then how can we diagnose our situation so that when it becomes time for us to enter midlife and have more uh, control over the systems and government policies and things like that, that we're not the people just voting, but we're like actually in charge, that we can make the adjustments needed for ourselves and subsequently, and hopefully, the idea at least is for later generations to be able to have better opportunities. Now, generational theory is all about cycles and stuff like that, so there's never any permanence to the changes that we make, that eventually that millennials will make changes that 
a future generation is going to rebel against. But for now, it's like it feels like a necessity for us to focus on figuring out how we're going to build a system for ourselves so that we can actually, you know, not live in a constant hypervigilance of feeling like we're entitled idiots that can't figure it out, which is like a lot of the narrative that comes from the older generations that, you know, told us to do the thing. And because we're struggling to do the thing for our reasons or not our reasons, uh, uh, there's a lot of judgment that's come from that. So in a way, this is like big picture course correction. You know, there's a lot of anger towards injustices, whether that's trauma or external. There's a lot of sadness, a lot of grief, a lot of mourning, a lot of adjustments and trying to figure out who we are and where we're going with all of this. And so all of that is also trying to suss out like what is actual real trauma versus like what is a story I keep telling myself? And so the work that I've been doing with Personality Life Path this week is with introverted feeling, which is our internal narratives. It's our sense of uh, righteousness or morality or, or what we really care about and what's, what we stand for. But then also the willingness to continue to analyze our stories and figure out, is that a valid actual experience of a story or am I being a hypocrite and just making up a story to you know, to justify how I'm being right. So this, this is involved a deep dive exploration for me where I've uncovered some stories relative to, um, uh, I mean, quite a few things. I, first of all, I was able to discern that like on this podcast and some of the work I want to do externally, I want to talk more about mental wellness, philosophy, and existential ideas and humor and stuff like that. Existential being like, big picture AI, generational theory, what's coming, that kind of stuff. Philosophy being more about the present and how I'm navigating the world right now. And then mental wellness is like the past orientation, mourning, trauma, healing, stuff like that. Right. So it's a whole process. Um, and I'm noticing quite a few little things, so I'm not going to go through all the details, but all of this has been leading to just this morning, I was writing down some stories that I think I've noticed about myself um, that uh, I've uh, found a lot of humor and joy in. Let me let me write down the base story. Actually, let me show you the base story that I wrote down. That I have a narrative that my DNA and programming infects everything and everyone I come across. I usually refer to myself as evil or demonic or a bad influence or overly own the negative parts of me to cover my low self worth. And this narrative is false. Like after a meeting I had, my wife and our friend Eric was both NFPs, most likely, um, were ready to listen, which was amazing, very serendipitous. And um, but through talking about this and sharing this story, I'm just like, that's just objectively false. I, you know, this is very clearly a belief that I perpetuate about myself, not something that is objectively true. And there's no way to measure that as objectively true. It's just not. Um, and then I was talking to some people in a, a chat and sharing that idea of infection that like, I have this feeling that I, that I infect people negatively, but uh, really there's this like power of influence. And I do have a power of influence just by sharing my story. I mean, people have listened to this podcast and have had uh, breakthroughs and uh, people I've had conversations with in person and 
there are a lot of people who I have conversations with and they're just like, I never thought of this, this thing that way. And, um, it's been through my own healing process that I've been able to uncover these things and the willingness to dive deep into these things that I do have influence because of the willingness to, um, you know, the, the willingness to do these things, whereas, um, many people aren't. So, you know, I have to give myself credit for that. Some of the other stories I wrote down is that, um, well, I, first of all, I noticed that I compliments about my humor light me up. And then I also use humor as a validation tool. So I had to find, uh, something I noticed about my story, my actual story is that I had to find humor in life in the dark, in the absurd, or I was going to end my life. And, and I've noticed that, you know, this is more of a personal ethos, but it's like the more seriously we take ourselves, the more likely we are to collapse, you know? So there, so, so humor has been like a defense mechanism. It's a, it's like needed to release. And if you don't use that as a release, then things can break and get brittle really fast. So humor has been like so important for me to lighten up everything as much as like there's such heaviness in all of the work that I'm willing to dive into and do, I have to have such joy and release on the other side so that I just don't collapse. Right. So that's super important. Some other stories are that I assume that I am negative chapters in other people's lives. So strangely, I had a dream about an ex-girlfriend last night and I found myself sort of apologizing for taking the time we were together for granted and stuff like that. And I find that I think about past relationships whenever I do, I think about how I've had a negative impact on that person. And I don't really think about how they've had an impact on me in a negative way. I usually have this like emotional fantasy about people, about my attachments and tend to ignore any of the objective things that were not working. Um, And it really took me, a lot of effort in my previous marriage to get to the point where I had to make an objective analysis in order to detach, in order to make the choice to leave, because I was so enmeshed in that life. And in the past, I'd been so invested in being enmeshed in relationships that I ignored the, like my own actual needs and analytic desires you know, the practical needs that I, that I needed, um, the reciprocity that I needed and not just living in the fantasy of like, I'm with a partner and we love each other and we cuddle and we enjoy things and you know, all of that. But like, are the bills getting paid? You know, are we both invested in this life? Are we both doing all of the things? Uh, are we listening to each other? Are we having conversations? Are we able to communicate? Do we actually like each other? <laughs> you know, stuff like that, you know? And then I remember having moments in that past relationship. This wasn't the dream that I had, but this is leading down this rabbit hole. Um, I remember having had objective conversations with friends who would tell me that that relationship was like not good for me. And I would continuously ignore it because I favored the emotional kind of fantasy of being attached and enmeshed versus, you know, following what was good for me on an individual level. Uh, and I would often sacrifice my own sense of self and well-being for the sake of being validated by having a partner and having that sort of feeling. Uh, 
So the dream that I had that reminded me of this fact that I just continuously had you know, placed the blame on me, the willingness so much to place the blame on me, um, and how detrimental that has been, and how that has continuously added to my story of assuming that I am a negative chapter in other people's lives, and that the other person didn't have you know, any influence on me or didn't have any influence on the negative aspects of our relationship, you know, and, you know, perhaps I need to do a little bit more of a, um, objective analysis of like what did go wrong and what didn't work. Um, and not just take the hit and take the blame and, you know, avoid being, you know, I've tended to put others on a pedestal is kind of that feeling. And needing to really, like, be a little more objective than that, right? So another story that I wrote down was that I keep telling myself that I'm alone. I'm not alone. I've got you amazing listeners, first of all. I've got an amazing group of people going through the Personality Life Path program with me. People that I know love, care, and support me. I've got my partner. I've got my kids. I've got my immediate family. I've got my wife's extended family. I've got all sorts of people that actually care and support and love me and are willing to help me. And uh, people at my new studio space, too, who are really starting to get to know me. Like, that I'm not, I'm literally not alone. There are people who are invested in my future as much as I am. Maybe not as much, but, you know, are uh, connected to that at least. Uh, another story is that I take myself too seriously and I do when I get into this emotional space, I take myself way too seriously and I need that. I need to be reminded that levity is important. I don't see my life as my story. So we were watching guardians of the galaxy volume three last night and there's a a line where uh, I won't tell the story. It's a, it's a really amazing story about trauma and um, really like, physical, abusive, uh, and emotional trauma of Rocket Raccoon. <laughs> and, uh, you know, there's there's a lot to the emotional aspects of the story that I relate to. Um, and then this feeling that despite having had trauma and being essentially taken from your natural life path and your natural story, or what seems like was supposed to be your natural story that it feels like you, you can be hijacked into someone else's story. And that's, I think that's a feeling that I have as like, I feel like I get kind of caught up in other people's stories or that I'm surfing the wave of other people's stories and that I don't necessarily have my own story. And so there was a, a quote about like realizing that this has been your whole story. The whole, this has been your story the whole time. And there's like an, a personal ownership and an identity aspect of like the pain and the struggle and the, the challenges, the opportunities, the relationships, the, all of it is like, it's a part of my story. It's not that there was a different story I was supposed to be a part of, but this is it. This is, this is me. This is mine. This is, this is my 
path. This is my wisdom. This is my experience. And I don't think that I've owned that. I think I've just felt hijacked, that I've felt like I, I haven't been sovereign and I haven't made my own decisions. But truly, I have. I have been making my own story. And so I wrote down, like I quoted to myself that there was a voice in my head that said, my story sucks. Um, and another one saying, I hate being alive. And there's parallels with like my late teenage self that I'm having a lot of these conversations with that version of me that first started to get into relationships uh, and really started to deal with the mental side of things, of really starting to figure out like my place in the world and figure out what I wanted to do and figure out where I wanted to go and uh, starting to wrestle with independence and with independence comes sovereignty and sovereignty comes responsibility. And I think something that we all do is it's just very tempting and natural to want to, to give up our sovereignty to not have to take responsibility because if something goes wrong, then we can say like, Oh, it was that thing or that person or, or, you know, it was my parents or it was my exes or it was whatever, right? It's not me. This is not my story. I'm just getting dragged along. And I think that lends to this feeling of like isolation and drives suicidal ideation. Because if I don't feel like I'm being sovereign and living my life, then why would I feel like I want to keep going? If I feel like I'm just being a prisoner to other people's stories, then why would I want to be here? Why am I here? What's the point? And I think I understand that thought process. And I think I'm starting to dissect that thought process more. And I think at some point I had to suppress suicidal ideation. And even though I felt it, I often reframed it as like, I don't want to be here right now. And that I don't want to be here right now is a feeling of, uh, it's a scary feeling to know that I can just make one simple choice and then it's all over. And if I truly don't want to do that anymore, then I have to listen to my 16, 17, 18 year old self's thought process of like, why? Why don't I want to live anymore? Why didn't that version of me not want to live anymore? Right? And, and why is the narrative of my story sucks and I hate being alive you know, coming up, why is that part of my psychology? What does that all mean? Right? So it's a, it's a hefty old thing, right? Another story is that I conflate what I do with who I am. And that's a big one because I've been really trying to dissect and separate myself from what I do because I'm, I'm getting tired of what I do. <laughs> I'm, I have a lot of hypervigilance related to being fearful avoidant and uh, I'm burnt out a lot. I'm burnt out quite often. And I think it's because my hypervigilance is activated quite often. And I need to properly diagnose why that is. Uh, and, I, and I know naturally that I need time to myself and space to myself away from other people's influences and other people's emotions and other people's experiences, including my wife, 
who is a self-preservation four in the Enneagram, and, you know, she has a lot of complaints, and that's just what happens um, as a part of that. And I'm, I'm always happy to sit with her and be a part of that, but there are times when I just need to not be in that tornado, so to speak. Um, and another thing is, like, very similar to what I was saying before, is that I'm a bit part in other people's stories and extra. People have used the word NPC, non-playable character, but I, I kind of don't like that term. It's very dehumanizing. Um, and that I rarely know what I want. You know, that's that's really hard to figure out, too. So I wrote down this little chart that was like, I infect lives, is the belief of my story. That drives isolation, and that isolation drives suicidal ideation. Now, if I do the reframe that I influence lives, that drives connection and that drives purpose. And that's something really important for me to think about, too. Uh, a lot of anger has come out through a lot of this. I have rage that I need more outlets for. And I remember that when I was about 19, maybe, I the last time I had a massive cry was because of rage. It wasn't sadness, but I was enraged. It took me a long time to remember that. And uh, so part of feeling fearful, fearful avoidance which is part of the rabbit hole I went to, went down after realizing all of these things, is that fearful avoidance typically don't like to show weakness or vulnerability. That's definitely a problem I have. Challenges with trust can be more of the disorganized and dizzying kind of type when they're dysregulated and can be a bit commitment-phobic. And I don't know if you've been paying attention to me on this podcast, but I've had commitment issues with sticking with this podcast, not the number of episodes, but the consistency of doing them. And I tend to talk myself out of things, especially when things start to go well. It's like, I don't trust that. There's something wrong there. So I've got a ton of notes on being fearful avoidant, but I think some of the key takeaways, and you know, this is not an informational podcast episode, so go do your own research. But some of the uh, stories that came out of this is that I will be betrayed. I resonated with that. I am unsafe. I am unworthy. And I am bad. Those are all stories that resonate with me. Uh, enmeshment of feelings. The hypervigilance. Uh, as a result of inconsistent parenting. Fighting at home. Stuff like that. Um, easily feeling, feeling guilt and sadness. Fear of abandonment. Not wanting to be helpless, trapped, powerless. No control. Feeling not good enough, fear of feeling weak, stupid, or disrespected. And there's a lot of anger, hurt, frustration, overwhelm, guilt, shame, pressure, sadness, anxiety, easily offended. All of those things are true to my like sensitivities. Um, I have a lot of needs, but one thing that stuck out is that like I don't set boundaries very well, especially with my closest people. And after a while, I feel taken advantage of. And, you know, it's, it's like this push-pull that I experience all the time. Uh, the expectations that I would like that I resonate with is that no one breaks trust. People read my mind because I'm hypervigilant and reading between the lines and reading people's needs or, like, trying to keep the peace is that um, I want them to do that for me. And so having to communicate my needs feels extra. Um... So things are kind of scary when they're too calm, and I don't quite trust safety. 
So it's interesting, whenever we're in like the rural country area, because like our stepkids live a little bit in a rural area, it's like always so quiet and it freaks me out. <laughs> I mean, I grew up in the city and I'm used to like sirens and stuff, but like something about when it's like dead quiet, I'm like, it's like something's about to jump out of something, right? Uh, so some of the tendencies are like testing, withdrawing, stonewalling, being spiteful, critical, harsh, volatile, uh, four Fs, fight, f freeze, fawn, and flight, and can be people-pleasing. I do all those things. Um, and then all of that can lead to, in an effort to emotionally regulate without healthy regulation and healthy outlets, leads to excessive creature comforts, food, sex, things like that. Uh, All-or-nothing communication patterns, uh, assuming that my needs won't be met, uh, and, you know, some of these are just repeats, I guess, of what I just said. So, uh, Heidi Preeb said something interesting. She said, anger is self-correcting, is a self-correcting force. And I, I, I agree with that. I love that statement because it's just, it's really powerful to know that, like, anger is important to express. It's an expression of injustice. It's an expression of needs. It's an expression of, uh... Yeah, it's an expression of needs, of boundaries, of when an injustice happens, which includes a boundary being crossed. Um, and she mentioned some of the stories around anger. If I express anger, I will be abandoned. If I express anger, I will become like my parents when I was young, which is, I think that's something I wrote. Uh, anger seems invalid. And it tends to, you know, if we're not expressing anger regularly, we let it build, which perpetuates the story. And most of the time, I think we we believe that when we repress something, that there's like, it's kind of like when we sweep something under the rug, it's out of sight, out of mind. But it's still, if you keep sweeping something under the rug, eventually a bump will show in the rug and uh, trip somebody, right? <laughs> like there's a um, there's a limit, you know. We can't just suppress things forever. Um, that things will eventually bubble up and explode. Like it, it, it needs to go somewhere. Uh, and so some of the hardest parts that I've noticed is the push and pull two steps forward, one step back, kind of a roller coaster feeling. And that I, I tend to have personalization narratives. So if someone else is feeling something, it's because I did something. It's my fault. Very similar to what I was saying about like my past relationships is like it all collapsed because it was me. It was my fault. Right. So the it's and, and a belief that I can't communicate my needs um, as a result as well. So, uh, there was a blind spot video that she did that Heidi Preeb did relating to, um, different attachment styles. So if you're, uh, if, if you tend to fit the anxious style that you go from head to body, like you're, when you're dysregulated, you go from logical to emotional and then vice versa. If you're feeling avoidant, you go from from emotional to mental. And I think I go from emotional to, vent to, to mental when I'm dysregulated and everything. Like I, I get into an avoidant detached space suddenly because I'm not, a, I'm not voicing the healthy detached objective things. I'm not voicing that I'm, I'm not stepping outside of the fantasy of the emotion to ask myself, you know, to ask for feedback about the relationship or keeping a list of practical needs or 
keeping up with with keeping up with and asking for others to keep up with commitments um and then after a while it's like hold on i'm too enmeshed in this relationship i'm losing myself you know and there's suddenly this need for that kind of emotional separation that's kind of the avoidant thing and so i I avoid a lot in that way and all of that being a portion of who i am um all of that uh, all of that um representing that i'm only being a portion of who i am and that the desire ultimately is that secure people have their own lives that the desires to be consistent in and out of relationships uh that being the same person everywhere you go doing persona work essentially is the goal to being not rigid but malleable and that i'm being consistent i'm being emotional and rational and that i'm standing up for myself I'm getting my own needs met and I'm setting proper boundaries, but then I'm also being like vulnerable and emotional and supportive and all of that stuff. So all of that leads to like hypervigilance, burnout, nervous system dysregulation. And then it's really hard to regulate my nervous system. And so the, you know, the work for me now is like figuring out healthy coping strategies for, um, anger release healthy outlets for my uh, emotions and calming my nervous system so that I'm not as hypervigilant all the time. Do you want to stay up to date with the messiest drama on the internet? Or what about those crazy viral challenges? Then be sure to tune in to TMZ Verified, the podcast. I'm Wild. I'm Steph. And each week we're either breaking down the spicy viral stories or we're hanging out with the most popular influencers around. Tana Mojo is in the building. I don't even know if they're hating. They're probably just telling the truth, but we love the haters too. Sophia Franklin. Yeah, I mean, we can talk, but like, let's be real with each other, you know? Bryce Hall is here, y'all. Make some noise, people. I'm, I'm single, by the way. Right. So if you like viral drama, influencer culture, and just overall hot messness, check out new episodes of TMZ Verified every Thursday right here on Spotify. Another interesting element of this is that um, when we have an insecure attachment style, that a healthy relationship allows for the attachment style to be relieved, uh, revealed, not relieved, revealed. And so when we're experiencing a healthy relationship, suddenly it feels like it's the other person activating us to be this thing that I'm not when the thing that I've identified with being is the person who represses my needs, not the person who expresses my needs. So my wife is very good at constantly asking me like, what are your needs? Like what, what are you feeling? And is everything okay? Like she's checking in and I'm not really used to that. And so the safety of our relationship has revealed that I can let my hair down and I can let this side of me out and letting this side of me out means that I can have an opportunity to resolve this. It's the same thing with my son, my stepson. I believe I thought he was a sexual eight in the Enneagram, but I think he's actually a sexual six. And that effectively means that he represses his fear in favor of, of, basically pretending he's not afraid. He's over-asserting his strength. Um, 
he's pretending to be stronger than he is, essentially. But he's very anxious, he asks a lot of questions, and he's very nervous, and needs a lot of reassurance. And I need those things too. Even though I'm not a six in the Enneagram, I have this fearful avoidant attachment style, and we kind of attach to each other in that way. And I notice that his his behavior in that sense triggers me. And a, and a trigger is just an aspect of a way to get to know ourselves, right? It's, it's triggers usually reveal something we've repressed about ourselves. And so he's been basically unknowingly uh, revealing to me how much I repress weakness that I push down that I need help that I push down that I need support and love and care and that I have needs and that I'm pretending to be tough and pretending to have it all figured out when really it's like, you know, I'm, I'm a mess and I need more and I need more support and I need to, um, I'm not alone as part of one of the stories that I said earlier and that there are people who care for me that, I am safer than I've ever been in my life and I'm worthy of love and I'm a good person and I'm doing the best that I can and that there's no guarantee that I will be betrayed. And it's not likely that I will be be betrayed. And if I am, so what? There will be more, right? So it's like, it's, it's, you know, starting to work towards that path of feeling, um, Secure, I guess is the word. Uh, and I guess the last bit is that Molly introduced me to Gene Keys, which is like a different kind of system. It's very similar to human design. Uh, seems like it has a lot of specificity, um, but is also, it's, it's in the more esoteric side, though it's definitely more interesting than something like astrology on its own. There is... Um, there's a lot to unpack. It's a very slow moving process, but there is, uh, it says that one of my life paths is vitality. And one of my purposes, I should, I guess I should say is, is to produce vitality and that the way to that is through working through my shadow of dissatisfaction. And avoidance is like this constant and perpetual feeling of being dissatisfied. And I keep running because I'm dissatisfied. So it just keeps happening over and over again. And then the other interesting part is that a portion of a book that she read, like reading one of the keys, was that um, there are these seven-year cycles that we experience where from one to seven years old, it's we're more focused on the physical world. From 8 to 14-ish, we're focusing on the emotional world. And then 15 and fifteen to like 22, we're focusing on our mental space. And, I mean, every seven-year cycle after that, we get opportunities to revisit those cycles again. And... I haven't quite done the math, but I'm pretty sure I'm in that cycle of mental again. Um, well, let's do the math real quick right now. So it would be 23 to about 
30, or 29, something like that, that would be the physical cycle again, which I very much was. Uh, 30 to 36-ish, 37, which I'm 37 now, has been the emotional world, which I've been embedded in. Now I'm re-entering mental space again. And mental space, mostly I've just been feeling this like connection with my teenage self. Like there's stuff that my teenage self has needed resolved within me that I haven't take, taken the time to have that conversation with that part of myself. And that part of me needs a lot more attention than I've been willing to give it. And uh, there's a lot of anger. A lot of feeling like I couldn't be independent. A lot of feeling like I couldn't make my own choices. A lot of feeling like I... Um, You know, I kind of retreated to my mental world because I couldn't make the choices in the physical world. Or I felt like I couldn't take charge of my story. And so now, you know, what all that essentially leads to is, yes, there's still some healing to do. There's still some anger relative to my situation growing up. There's still a lot of frustration. A lot of those years where there was a lot of anger protecting my family and... Uh, the the chaos at home, the yelling and fighting was in those teenage years and uh, needing to spend some time giving that part of myself attention and, and room to speak, you know, that repressing those things in order to move forward and to now be a dad and now be trying to build a life for myself that listening to that part of me is required to like fully honor who I am and to live in vitality, to have the energy, to have the eagerness and the willingness and the ability to genuinely support and help people through my own healing story, as opposed to the hypervigilance helping people, which is like being reactive and just, you know, giving into the environment and the people's other people's emotional conscious or unconscious demands that I will be okay. If I do what I need to do, if I do what I want to do, if I pursue my own path, if I make my own decisions, if I live my own story that it won't have this like, Basically, I won't be infecting people around me. I'll be influencing them and supporting and uh, have a positive impact on how things go forward. Making everyone happy on vacation isn't easy. But you know what is? Going to Aruba. All you have to do is walk out your door to find pristine pools, relaxing white sand beaches, and an island teeming with outdoor activities that'll put a smile on any face. You won't just feel great, you'll all feel great, filled with a calmer, more peaceful vibe that radiates Aruba's warmth. And the best part is, it never fades. That's the Aruba effect. Plan your family trip at aruba.com. So that was a lot. And selfishly, I will admit that was really all for me. But hopefully you enjoyed it or you got something out of it and um, can take something with you. But 
I got mine, so I feel pretty good. <laughs> no, actually, I need I need to stop. I need to go for a walk. I need to kind of break free from thinking about all of this because it's been heavy for a few hours. Lots of words, lots of talking, lots of processing. I need to go put on some music and just go for a walk. I would love some chicken wings. That'd be pretty good. Uh, you know, that's a coping mechanism, chicken wings. <laughs> um but for now, like that's just that's just where I am. That's what I got. So I thought I'd share some of that story because that's been the whole thing for this podcast, um, and ultimately why I'm here, continuing to do this. If you want to support my work, you can go to happychemicals.substack.com. You can join our subscription there. Our me my subscription, uh, seven dollars a month. If you want to support. Uh, and I do premium articles and sometimes videos and stuff like that there and, um, sharing more of my story, things I'm figuring out, uh, and really living in the three areas that I was talking about, mental wellness, philosophy, and existential. So mental health or mental wellness, rather being past orientation, mourning, healing, uh, reconciling with our past. And philosophy being like centered now, personality systems, um, stringing words together to make sense of the world. I think of philosophy as thinker poetry, so it's that kind of thing. And then existential is like thinking big picture, generational theory, AI, emerging technologies, where the world is going, and how that affects our thought process going forward. So, um, yeah, I think that's it for now. Thank you for listening to this podcast. I appreciate you for being here. And uh, if you want to reach out to me personally, I'm at Let's Go See Note on Twitter. You can follow me there, or X, I guess, if you want to call it that now. Uh, and you can send me a DM, and uh, happy to chat. So I appreciate you. Thank you for listening. Take care of yourselves and each other, and I'll catch you next time on Happy Chemicals. See ya. <laughs>